This is control. Driver's door check secured. Welcome to Sam and Dan and Buckaroo Bonsai. Brought to you by AcmeScience.com. Hello and welcome to the uh, Daniel Sy and Samuel Hansen Untitled Movie Project. Uh, We don't have a title, so I will not be giving you a show name right now. But I do have with me, as our current fake title suggests, Mr. Daniel Sy from the There You Are podcast. Hey, Dan. Hello, Samuel Hansen from various other podcasts. Yes, I'm I'm going to go by Samuel Hansen from AcmeScience.com because this podcast is brought to you by AcmeScience.com. Awesome. And so what uh, we are here to do today is to talk about the eighth dimension. Not the seventh. Not the ninth. Nope, the eighth. Yes, and uh, specifically we're here to talk about someone's adventures across this dimension. Who would that someone be? I believe it would be Mr. Roo, <laughs> Mr. Roo? Mr. Buckaroo Banzai himself. Yes, Mr. Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, well, uh, we're here to talk about a movie. And if you haven't seen Buckaroo Banzai, what the fuck are you waiting for? <laughs> What the fuck are you waiting for? Slash, this is going to be really confusing for me. <laughs> yeah, I, we would suggest that you listen to this after you have watched the movie. You could either listen to it after you've watched the movie, or you could sync it up with the movie. And this will act as a kind of commentary over part of the movie, because there's no way this movie is going to be two and a half hours long. Well, or or perhaps uh, the the movie will be just background scenery for listening to our wonderful voices because I was planning on having this be a three-hour podcast. Oh, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, Dan, will you tell me a little bit about the movie? We'll go into talking about, you know, interesting things later. Let's talk about the movie itself. Yeah, so uh, the movie The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension came out uh, way back in the year of our Lord, 1984. I um, prefer uh, common era 1984 myself. Oh, you're one of those people. Yeah, I am. One of those godless people. Yeah. Um, that's fine. Uh, I'm one of those people too. <laughs> uh, it came out in 1984. Um, it was directed by uh, W.D. Richter and written by Earl Mac uh, Rauch. It starred uh, Mr. Robocop himself, Peter Weller, and uh, also uh, John Lithgow. And it was about a multi-talented uh, adventurer named Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, he had a band of merry men called the Hong Kong Cavaliers, and he fought a crazy alien from the Eighth Dimension, played by John Lithgow. As uh, they attempted to take over the world. Yeah, that's that's about as good of a summary of the movie as you can possibly have. Because this movie has 
uh, about as much flow as your typical stream of consciousness poem written by an eighth grader. Yeah, 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 that about covers it. Uh, P.S. Jeff Goldblum's in it. Oh, also uh, Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, and um, Vincent Chiavelli. I don't know who that is. Famous character actor Vincent Chiavelli. Okay, I am not one of those Boston Hollywood insiders like you are. I hang out with Ben Affleck (laughs) often. Uh, The movie also stars uh, Ellen Barkin as the uh, female lead. I'm not too excited about that. You're not excited about Ellen Barkin playing Miss Penny Pretty? I mean, admittedly, she was in The Fan, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Sea of Love, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but still not that excited. Wow. I think she's pretty good. Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not arguing that she is not pretty good. I quite enjoyed her acting in the movie. It's just, I mean, Ellen Barkin's not a name that's really going to get my blood flowing. Oh, well. Unlike, say, Jeff Goldblum, who is my favorite actor of all time. Yeah, me too. And my favorite Conan O'Brien guest. Oh, God, he's great on Conan. He's pretty much the best Conan O'Brien guest. Folks, Google that. (laughs) The best. You should watch it. Stop this podcast. (laughs) Go to your Google. We just... Internet search. Jeff Goldblum on Conan O'Brien. And you're in for a treat. We just got them listening to this. I'm not going to kick them out yet. Don't do that until the end of the show. Stop listening. (laughs) You go know, per- to Google. Perhaps go to acmescience.com and we may even toss one of those videos up on the site. And you can do that after you're done listening to this episode. I accept this compromise. Okay. Well, very good. Shall we uh, continue on then? We shall. Besides, I don't imagine you came here to listen to me talk. <laughs> you're right. So Buckaroo Banzai, you know, he has a he has a a pretty diverse diverse uh, lineage here. Would you say that he is a neurosurgeon? I would say that yes. How about a high energy physicist? Um, he is also that yes. A Department of Defense advisor. It's funny you should mention that because he had all he is also that. A personal friend of the President of the United States. Uh, correct. A pilot? Yes. Parachuter? Yes. A musician? Oh, oh boy, is he ever... He's not just a musician, he's a rock star. A comic book author? Uh, yeah, from time to time. Would you say he's a ladies' man? Well, yes, I would. Uh, is there anything this man does not do? Um, to be determined. Where he does not have a specialty, he uh, definitely fills those roles with his uh, band of brothers, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, which, which we will talk about later. Buckaroo Banzai is actually the son of a Japanese physicist who married the daughter of a uh mathematician who she is an expert in the field of negative mass propulsion and which actually kind of directly leads into the opening scene in the movie uh where buckaroo bonsai is piloting a jet car yes or if you watch the version of the movie that i have 
you actually get to see the two parents and a five-year-old buckaroo. This is true. The mother is played by a young Jamie Lee, to- Lee Curtis. Oh, the deuce you say. The character of Buckaroo is, uh, he's clearly an adventurer, a renaissance man. He, he's almost like a more modern day pulp hero. You can compare him to Doc Savage from the 30s and 40s. And actually the entire uh, Buckaroo Banzai mythos is, is almost uh, completely lifted from uh, books like Doc Savage, where he has a, uh, you know, a group of adventurers he travels with and he is a, uh, you know, expert in in many fields, and uh, it's kind of like taking taking Doc Savage, turning him into a super nerdy scientist instead of a man of bronze, and dropping him in 1984. Now, I mean, I I know a lot of nerd things. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who Doc Savage is. Doc Savage is pretty much buckaroo bonsai but in 1940 so he killed a lot of nazis (laughs) his nickname was the man of bronze he was this large muscular tan fellow the man who created him uh whose name was lester dent he he said that doc savage was a mix of sherlock holmes's deductive abilities tarzan's outstanding physical abilities craig kennedy's scientific education who? I don't know Craig Craig I don't know who Craig Kennedy is. I assume he's someone who knows a lot of science. And Abraham Lincoln's goodness. <laughs> Further explaining that Doc Savage was a manifestation of uh, Christliness. Well, he did not have low feelings about his character. No, no, yeah. He he felt pretty highly of Doc <laughs> Savage, if if I say so myself. He was pretty much like he was the typical do-gooder, you know. He was the Superman. He was the selfless hero. And he also surrounded himself with aides and friends. They were called the Fabulous Five. And uh, each of them had their own special abilities. I think one was like an attorney, another one who was like a geologist. And they all had they all had nicknames like Long Tom and Ham and Monk. Not, not uh, Tony Shalhoub Monk. This is another <laughs> Monk. Um, but yeah, so he would surround himself with people in fields that he wasn't an expert in. And uh, he kind of started this uh, little league, not unlike Buckaroo Banzai creating the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Buckaroo <laughs> Banzai also picked a better name. Fabulous <laughs> Five, nah, not that great. <laughs> One of the things that you talked about was the Christliness, the do-goodery of mm-hmm. Doc Savage. Now, that's not something that I would necessarily put on Buckaroo Bonsai, though. The rest of it, sure. But Buckaroo Bonsai is more just uh, almost kind of like a nihilist in some ways. He's just like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to. No, and, and, and yeah, you're right. And, th- and that's kind of where the uh, the similarities end and the personality of Bonsai kind of comes out is uh, he's he's more rooted in science Doc Savage was more of kind of like a an adventurer, more Indiana Jones, like I'm going to go punch this guy in the face to get this thing and to to stop evil. Buckaroo Banzai was more about furthering science and then through furthering science, he will better the world. Or do, I mean, he would do pretty much anything to save the world, but you kind of get the feeling it's because his friends are on it. It's be, It's because his friends are on it. And if the world blew up, 
he'd have nowhere to keep all of his stuff. <laughs> now, now this this is not a view that we alone share, though, because uh, Peter Weller, who played Buckaroo Banzai, was interviewed for Filter Magazine, I believe, mm-hmm. and they asked him the question, looking back, is your character out to stop evil? And he responded, I don't think so. I think he's just plunging ahead for science. He's out to relieve suffering through as many works as he can muster, and I can only say that in retrospect. That's all he's out to do to make the world a better place. Essentially, that's the worth of most science, the further progress. It's the old 19th century ideology of positivism. And through that, I can kind of do it, except I do kind of feel that there's a little bit more of a dick in Buckaroo Banzai than Weller apparently sees. I kind of see that sometimes he does things just to annoy people. He, he does. And he kind of just does things because he can. Yeah. Because he is uh, an expert in so many fields. You know, he is a celebrity. He drives around in a oh, tour yeah. bus. Yeah, everyone knows who he is. Like, everyone on the f- whole entire planet. Yeah, I mean, w- we were talking about the kind of, like, Superman-type hero. You know, he was a comic book hero in his comic books. And maybe his comic books were written in such a way where he was perceived as a hero. He was a rock star. And his band of scientists, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, were all also a band. Yeah. And... <laughs> Each of them played an instrument. I think that was a requirement for joining. No, no, it was not. It was not a complete requirement for joining. It was definitely a bonus. Yeah. Oh, it, helped, oh, it, it helped you out. Oh, yes, it did. Uh, but I believe dancing was enough. You ever thought about joining me full time? What do you mean? Are you serious? Do you have an opening? Uh-huh. Can you sing? A little. Yeah, I can dance. A character that I uh, definitely feel is, is quite similar to this, especially in its more modern iterations, because I can't talk about the old ones because I haven't watched those episodes, would be the one, the only, the Doctor. Mm. Uh, yes. Good old Doctor Who, uh, who, especially in the last couple of seasons, the Doctor is definitely a character who just kind of floats around, saves the people he likes, uh, but it's definitely not out necessarily to do a overarching agenda of good. And also, he's a master of all trades whatsoever. He's, he's very similar to Buckaroo in that. It's just like, oh, just saying, you need a surgeon? Okay, I'll be a surgeon. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I'll use my sonic screwdriver to perform some surgery. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, the, the doctor kind of just helps whoever's around where he lands. <laughs> whatever trouble is happening at that time in history. Well, with the, with the help of, say, the TARDIS, his uh, time and relative dimension in space, time machine and spaceship, he's also technically able, uh, also given his infinite lifespan, to appear everywhere in the entire history of time. So nothing bad necessarily ever has had to happen anywhere ever. Right. The... I think the thing, uh, the, the doctor just isn't as uh, focused True. as Buckaroo Banzai. I think Buckaroo Banzai has that uh, kind of he'll help people if he's there and there is trouble and science is needs to be had. But he also has, you know, he built this uh, jet car and he has pursuits, which is something that the doctor 
the doctor knows all of these things and he, you know, can perform all these great acts, but he's never like, I'm going to sit down and put together this model kit or something. Or I'm going to build a jet car, you know? Yeah, it's true. He seems to just have everything appear for him. Right. I wonder if he has that, that weird thing from Star Trek, a show that I've never watched. The, the Replicator? It is a Replicator. I, mean, yeah. I wonder if he has one of those somewhere in the TARDIS. He may be the, the TARDIS, for those who don't know, is bigger on the inside. <laughs> um, it's about the size of a, of a small phone booth. It's, it's like a mansion on the inside. It's humongous. A, a like 16th century country uh, royalty mansion. It is gigantic. Apparently, there are many, many rooms. It has uh, a swimming pool. There's a swimming pool. You know, there's wardrobes with all kinds of clothes from all over history and all over the universe. Just that word. This isn't the Doctor Who cast. <laughs> Can it be? Welcome to the Doctor Who cast. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Doctor Who in his relation to Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> No, but I think there there are definitely elements of the early the early doctors. I haven't seen a lot of it, but from what I have seen, it, the the whole kind of adventuring aspect, kind of related to science, Buckaroo seems a little bit more focused than the Doctor, which is why it's not kind of like a direct, you know, a direct descendant of the Doctor. Something that is interesting is uh, the most recent Doctor, Matt Smith, who has been on for for one season at this point. He looks almost exactly like buckaroo in uh one scene like, you know bow tie glasses sometimes wait does the new doctor have glasses no i don't i don't think the new doctor has glasses but he does uh have the weird like slightly oddly patterned shirt yeah he the, he kind of looks like an awkward professor yeah the new doctor it's just it's uncanny kind of how close to Buckaroo he can get at some points. Yeah, with uh, Tenet, the doctor before Smith as well in his probably his first season when he was sillier. Yes. Before he got incredibly sad and became the lonely doctor. Oh, lonely doctor. Yeah. So I think, you know, while there are similarities to the doctor, it, it, it definitely Buckaroo is this kind of like intersection of like you know, early 30s and 40s pulp hero with science fiction time traveler. You know, he has a little uh, spirit of Indiana Jones in him, too. And uh, it, it all kind of just melds together into this uh, this crazy adventurer who adventures for science. Oh, which is awesome in my view. One thing I, I do want to mention, did you ever notice how long it takes in the movie before you see Buckaroo's face? Yeah, it, it it does take a while. Um, when we we first see uh, Buckaroo, he's uh, performing surgery. He's behind a mask. Kind of big, in, like, environmental hazard suit mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then he runs off to uh, drive a jet car. He's wearing a helmet. Well, not only helmet, he also has the, like, fireproof mask, which he ties a Japanese, like, warrior bandana over. yeah. Yeah, it it definitely takes a while before we even see his face. Yeah, it's somewhere around 12 minutes in, I want to say. (laughs) It's after he stumbles out of the jet car. I think one of the interesting things about the movie as a whole is there is this deep mythology of Buckaroo Banzai and who he is, and it is not explained. You know, I'm a big fan of all you guys. I love the comic books and the records. 
No, that's one thing I love about it is that Buckaroo Banzai is a completely formed character who everyone knows. Every character in the movie knows his entire life. Everything except, about it, except us. Sure, except us. It's almost as if you like watched Return of the Jedi without having seen the first two Star Wars. You know, you have Luke Skywalker as this like Jedi Knight who just happens to, you know, his, da- his dad is like uh, Darth Vader, all this stuff. I would say it's even bigger than that. I would say it's like you were reading a book in the middle of the New Jedi Order without having watched any of the movies or read any of the other books. Yeah, that's probably a bit more accurate. Because yeah, it's like you get tossed in and you feel immediately upon the start of the movie completely out of your depth. Yeah, I've heard that that's one of the criticisms of the movie is that you just have no idea what's going on for the longest time. And by the time you kind of wrap your head around it, it, the movie's already pretty far in and you could be completely lost. I've heard that it takes maybe a couple viewings before you start to actually like it. Is that true? You're a recent Buckaroo Banzai convert here. Oh, I was, I loved it about 10 minutes into my first viewing. And this is the it's but I mean this is the kind of thing that I like. I mean it's a completely formed world and you're just getting thrown into it. It's a different kind of art than what most people like. Mm-hmm. But it's a kind of art that I adore. I love, you know, especially like books where there's a huge mythology built up. They say mm-hmm. the Hitchhiker's Guide books. Admittedly, Arthur Dent doesn't know any of it, but he's tossed into this world where everyone knows about the guide except for him. Yeah, and I mean, at least you have Arthur Dent as a guide in those books. Well, that's true, but I still, this is just a step beyond that night. I like it. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty much like, oh, well, let's let's not tell them a damn thing. <laughs> you know? So I forgot, I forgot that I had this quote that I believe appears in the movie. I think that I read that this quote appears in the movie. I don't remember it being in the movie. Uh, but it's a good quote nonetheless. He thinks he's Einstein, James Bond, and Batman all rolled into one. Someone in reference to Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah, that seems about right. There was a quote where um, Peter Weller said, he he says he he based the character of Buckaroo on Jacques Cousteau, Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, and Adam Ant. (laughs) Why Adam Ant? I don't... No. Oh, rock star. Crazy rock star? Yeah. And that's an amazing combination of people. <laughs> yeah, I it's such a great character. And it's it's too bad that the character starts and pretty much ends with this movie. But only pretty much. More on that later, listeners. Dr. Lazardo. Wasn't he on TV once? You're thinking of Mr. Wizard. This guy's a top scientist, Doomcock. So was Mr. Wizard. Science Corner! Yay! We get to talk about science, Dan. I'm very excited. Yeah, well, I don't know if you knew this, but this is a science fiction movie. And in a science fiction movie, do you mean that there's fiction and science or fictional science? Guess what? There's both. Oh my god. Oh my God, I cannot believe it. I am so happy. You know, I actually got into podcasting to talk about science. Did you? Yeah, I did. And so now I'm finally going to do it. I've been wasting all my time with all that mass shit. That's good. Good to hear. Let's get on with it. Okay, so right in the beginning, the very intro of the movie, I seem to remember there being 
some sort of medical science. Indeed. Uh, when the movie opens, we are dropped into a intense surgery scene with Mr. Buckaroo Banzai himself performing the surgery. In this, he is, uh, I believe, assisted by Mr. Jeff Goldblum. He sure is. Who is also a doctor in this movie. Dr. Jeff Goldblum, I believe his name is. They are performing intense neurosurgery with a laser. And this is 1984. Yeah, we're talking 1984, people. This is pretty crazy. Revolutionary, even. Yeah, well, I mean, if there's anything that we can say about Bakru Banzai, it's that he's a bit revolutionary. Yeah, breaking barriers down left and right. He's, you know, just doing some neurosurgery. He's using this super powerful laser to do non-invasive surgery to remove a brain tumor, I think. And at the time, that's not really a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um there was there was uh some some lasers being used in surgery, but it really wasn't it wasn't that tested. It wasn't that prevalent. It, it just wasn't the norm when it came to uh, doing surgery and certainly not brain surgery. However, times have changed. People have watched Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. They've developed some, some crazy new advances in medical technology, uh, one of which is a MRI-guided laser that cooks brain tumors. That's one of the most awesome things I've ever heard of. Yeah, they use this high-intensity probe to pretty much bake a tumor within your head and destroy it. Now, I, my, my question about the whole thing is, is this a Hannibal-type scenario? Do you then take the tumor out and eat it? Uh, no, that is not a thing that happened. <laughs> um, Damn it! I, I'm sorry to crush your dreams like that. But no, these people are, are they're professionals. They, uh, they, they leave it in the, uh, in the surgery room. Yeah, I found an article about this from last year. And it, it seems like they're finally starting to take these lasers out of just the experimental labs. And actually, they're actually using them in real hospitals, which is just, it's, it's amazing. And, and it, beyond this crazy future laser... That they're that they're using, they do. There are these micro lasers that are used pretty prevalently in major brain surgeries around the world. And we can't we can't also forget how important uh, lasers have become for, say, a corrective optical surgery now. Oh, sh sure. Yeah, laser surgery, which I'm pretty sure it wasn't back in the 80s, is now one of the go-to treatments for a lot of different ocular disorders, and. It's this is one thing I'm I'm sure that the uh, people who wrote well the guy uh, Rauk who wrote Buckaroo Bonsai probably took this from actual things that were going on and just extrapolated, but it was a pretty actually solid use of science within a fantastical movie that includes say an alien spaceship getting shot down by a shotgun. It may not be a total loss. Well, I'm about ready to go home and do some grazing. We might see something. I did it! It's wounded! <laughs> yeah, this is true. Um, lasers were being used in surgery back in 1984, 
but not to the extent that Buckaroo Banzai was using it. And it, so, I mean, it wasn't a huge leap to extrapolate that that they would be kind of beaming tumors out of people's heads. But it, uh, we're, we're not talking like Star Trek, you know, uh, tricorders compared to today, you know. Yeah. And still, shotgun should not be able to shoot down an alien spacecraft. That I'm sorry, that point just stuck with me and I was very upset. Who's to say? I'm to say. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. That does not work. It does not fly. No alien is going to build a spaceship that can cross dimensional and interstellar distances and mm-hmm. yet somehow let it get shot down by a shotgun because there's tons of micrometeorites in space. Okay, here's my actual science argument for this. No. no. If you're traveling through space, mm-hmm. you are impacting things that are the equivalent of buckshot constantly at much higher velocities than if they were shot out of a shotgun. Therefore, if a spaceship was able to be downed by the firing of a shotgun, then it would never be able to cross any distance of space in space without getting impacted by micrometeorites or other space deritis, and everyone in it would die. That's, that's terrible science. I, I've, got, I've got a couple things. I'm going to refute this. Number one, could have just been a lucky shot. What? He didn't have the force. This is not a proton torpedo in the Death Star's exhaust port scenario. I, okay, true, but these aliens weren't the brightest. (laughs) These were the brighter of the alien groups, though. Still kind of dumb, and... (laughs) And to be fair, science fiction just is all about aliens who just don't realize things. Like, War of the Worlds aliens, come down. Uh-oh, common cold kills them. Uh, aliens <laughs> from science come down. Uh-oh, water kills them. Like, aliens aren't the brightest. <laughs> and yet somehow they can still get, like, faster than, like, travel all the time. Well, you know, maybe we're, maybe the smart aliens just stay home. <laughs> Because they realize Earth just isn't worth bothering with. You know what science fiction movie or story I want to hear? The one where the aliens are incredibly smart and Mm -hmm. incredibly mean and just fucking kill us. It'll be a page-long story. It'll be a two-minute-long movie. Aliens show up, they kill us all, (laughs) and leave. Um, This summer in movie theaters, uh, Battle Los Angeles. (laughs) What is that movie? Is that what that movie is? There's an alien movie coming out this summer. Yeah, where... battle. It's battle. Uh, battle colon Los Angeles. I think. Yeah. Except something tells me humans mm-hmm. win out. Yeah. Yeah. You think we win the day on that one? Yeah. Come on. It's starring Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> How can yeah. we not win? It's it's true. Oh, well, I think we all win when we have a movie starring Aaron Eckhart. Oh, also co-starring Neo. The like R&B star, Ni-yo. I, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> so this is going to be a good movie is what I'm saying. <laughs> now, was there some other science right in the beginning of this? Yeah, funny enough, Buckaroo Banzai during his surgery he has to he has to kind of rush through it because he's late for a rocket car test. <laughs> yes, a jet car test even. Ah, uh, sorry. Oh, it's 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 okay. I forgive you. Thank you. Now, 
he has to hop onto a helicopter that has to take him out into the middle of, from what it looked like, I would guess Monument Valley, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, that that's probably right. And he's actually like, there are people like where they're they're waiting for him. Where is Bonsai? Oh, he's in surgery. The Secretary of Defense is there. <laughs> They're like, where the hell is this guy? Oh, he's performing brain surgery. Oh, there he is. And, and he shows up, you know, just in time to, to do this jet car test. Not something a normal neuroscience uh, scientist would uh, do, I would think. So this jet car is more than just a simple jet car. It's, he was talking about it going 500 or 600 miles per hour. At least the uh, Secretary of Defense is. And another error is he's saying that that's never going to happen. Someone says it's never going to happen. Sure. But little do they know that Mr. Bonsai and his buddy, Professor Hakita, have (laughs) different plans. They sure do. This is actually going to be a test of something called the oscillation over thruster. And uh, here's something uh, from Buckaroo Bonsai, a few facts and some persistent rumors by the film's director, W.D. Richter. The oscillation over thruster is a rather small colliding beam accelerator. If you will, a crude contraption whose purpose was simply to enhance the electroweak forces that pertain between subatomic articles, thus making those forces the most powerful events occurring within a molecule. Uh, and then uh, of the science itself, uh, there's a explanation from Dr. Kerry Snyder from the University of California, Berkeley. He wrote this back in 84 uh, itself uh, when the movie came out. First, the overthruster produces colliding beams of electrons and positrons. These, in turn, produce copious quantities of intermediate vector bosons, which are words that were actually used in the movie itself. <laughs> this is true. are separated and focused with superconducting magnets. When focused on solid matter, the beam produces a small region of high energy density. Inside the target, spontaneous symmetry breaking imparts mass to the photons, reducing the range of electromagnetic force to far less than a quadrillionth of a centimeter. (laughs) From this small region, a shockwave of broken symmetry propagates outward. Behind this shockwave, matter interacts only weakly, providing for Buckaroo and his jet car to move through matter. The car must travel very fast, at least 700 miles per hour, to allow free passage before the material reverts to its normal state. charged particles collide and blow each other up in a burst of energy like a tiny big bang like a a, a, a baby bang oh. well i'm probably just uh, stating the very obvious oddly enough this was actually partially based on real science yeah and you know i only uh understood almost none of that <laughs> but it sounds very impressive what it kind of sounds like to me the large hadron collider in a car. It's pretty much just taking the Large Hadron Collider, putting it in a vehicle. And, well, putting it in a little box the size of my palm and then putting it in a vehicle. That's true. <laughs> Essentially, you know, this uh, overthruster is kind of like the flux capacitor. I'm going to say better than the flux capacitor, though. Well, except the flux capacitor allows time travel without any paradox issues. I'm going to say that this is better than the flux capacitor. I'm going on record. Well, I I don't know. I I don't know if I agree with you because 
one thing that this overthruster does, and I actually, before I talk about what it does, I should uh, point out that it's also insane. Uh, this, this is, from what I can tell, allowing only the electroweak force is essentially allowing macroscopic quantum tunneling effects. Now, Dan, how much you know about quantum mechanics? I know a ton about quantum mechanics. Okay, so can you tell me a little bit about the particle wave duality and the probability wave function for subatomic particles? Uh, now, Mr. Hansen, I could tell you this, but I think it'd be better if you described it. Okay, so in quantum mechanics, a subatomic particle is not necessarily a particle. The term particle itself is a bit of a misnomer. It's a both a particle and a wave at the same time in accordance with Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. And it only becomes a particle... Uh, it's only a particle or a wave depending on how you end up viewing it. But one of the things that this causes is that a particle that you observe to be on one in one position on one side of an actual physical barrier could end up essentially what it appears to us, which is not actually what it's doing, teleporting through to the opposite side of the barrier due to the fact that when you're not observing it, mm -hmm. it can actually become a probability wave of possible positions. And so depending on what probability ends up hitting, it could end up moving through. Now, this is not actually teleportation because due to the particle wave duality, it's already over in that spot a certain amount of the time. It's just we may observe it. That's what's known as quantum tunneling. I could not have said it better myself. Okay, and so essentially what this oscillation over thruster is doing is allowing this sort of quantum tunneling to occur on a macroscopic scale. So not subatomic, but actually, you know, a jet car going through. Now, the probability of something allowing quantum tunneling at this scale ever is is tiny because I somehow view that it would not stay contained to a small portion or a small area. Unlike, say, the LHC, which is not trying to do something like this, it's just trying mm -hmm. to produce miniature black holes in the Higgs boson particle. Yeah. I just. View, yeah, just. Just the Higgs boson. <laughs> I, I view that somehow if you fired something into, say, a mountain that mm -hmm. caused you to be able to pass completely through this mountain, that somehow it wouldn't stop at the mountain and it would continue through affecting all of the particles on the planet that are closely connected get c together, kind of like the big weapon in Ender's Game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, that's, a, that's an obscure reference right there. And just keep on going until it has no other matter to uh, interact with. That's, that is my incredibly uninformed, since I'm a mathematician, not a physicist, sure. opinion on what would happen if we actually had something that could do this. It would just take over and then we'd all end up falling through the earth. Yeah, and I, I'm also not a physicist, nor am I a mathematician, but that sounds pretty good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, thankfully for uh, Mr. Buckaroo Banzai, that does not happen. No, instead, he ends up traveling through what? He travels through an entire mountain. And in that mountain, the, he, uh, he enters... The eighth dimension. And the beings that come from this dimension are... Electroids. <laughs> okay, let's try that again. 
are the electroids. Uh, yeah. What? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sorry. So there's beings that come from the eighth dimension. They're the electroids, and they're the alien characters in the movie. He sub e. Jesus Christ, make the ganglia twitch. We're home free. Home. Home is where you wear your hat. I feel so break up. I want to go home. So with with Buckaroo Banzai, I mean, there has to be a bad person. It's a story. There has to be a villain, right? Right. And and so being a science fiction movie, the villain are aliens from the eighth dimension. Yes, they are. And as many science fiction movies go, they start out looking like uh, real people. Yeah, they do. And for some people, they always look like real people. This is true. Uh, because of something about them. But we should name them. What are they? They are the Lectroids from the Eighth Dimension, and the bad ones are the Red Lectroids. Yeah, we're first introduced to these characters through a character played by John Lithgow named Dr. Emilio Lizardo. This is uh, Emilio Lizardo. Maybe you don't remember me. Dr. Lizardo was actually the partner of Dr. Hakita, who was uh, Buckaroo's mentor and assistant. And through a failed experiment in the 30s, he is trapped in the eighth dimension and his mind gets taken over by Lord John Warfin, a red electroid. Yeah, a red electroid who had been banished along with his followers, including what John Big Booty, who was played by Christopher Lloyd, uh, to live in a section of the eighth dimension so that he and his other fascist type pals did no, no longer took over the 10th planet, which is the planet that they are from. Sure. And in this whole event that happens in the 30s, it's uh, covered up by Orson Welles's broadcast of War of the Worlds. Yeah, this this is something that's that's found out by the uh, Hong Kong Cavaliers later on in in the movie, well after we're introduced. But uh, it, they found out because on uh, November first, nineteen thirty eight, a bunch of people were registered as new residents of Grover Mills, New Jersey, including John Big Booty, John mm-hmm. Smallberries, John Yaya, and John Parrot. All of which mm-hmm. convinced them that these are not real people until New Jersey, or in other words, the best character played by Jeff Goldblum. Uh, sure. It was like, just a second, that's almost near Halloween. That's two days before Orson, we- Orson Welles' War of the Worlds experiment. And apparently, they had convinced Orson Welles to do the <laughs> to tell everyone afterwards that War of the Worlds was fake. They hypnotized Orson Welles into covering it up. So first he says, there's an invasion from Mars. But then he says, no, 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 it's just a radio show hoax. Get it? Oh. Since since these red electroids had had come over to Earth, they had created a corporation called Yoyodyne Propulsion Systems, it, which they owned, and all of the employees were red electroids. They were working on a a big spacecraft for the Department of Defense of the United States of America. They they were planning to go return to the eighth dimension 
and take all of their exiled uh, brothers and bring them to Planet 10 or Earth. Where are we going? Except for one huge problem, Dan. What is that problem, Mr. Hansen? They are incredibly incompetent. These are the stupidest aliens <laughs> you have ever seen. Oh my god. And, and not only that, I mean, the entire red electroid thing is clearly modeled off of fascism. Uh, the uh, John Warfin Lazardo's uh, speeches later on when he's definitely just going as John Warfin are mm-hmm. essentially snapshots of Mussolini. The way he's holding his body, the way he's thrusting his chin out, it's Mussolini through and through. The black electroids who are the good ones even compare John Warfin directly to Hitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it, there's the uh, yellow record. Uh, that they listen to, uh, which is them black electrodes warning black electrodes, the good electrodes warning the humans about the bad red electrodes. So and and when you're in Yo-Yo Dine, there's this big speaker going over the greatest joy is the joy of work, <laughs> and a lot of things about monkey boys because that's what red electrodes call humans. <laughs> <laughs> John Lithgow plays this character of Lord John Warfin just perfectly as like this perfectly insane, like crazy dictator. You, you know what it remind me of? Remind me of more than anything. What's that? The way that Mo, Larry and Curly play dictators in the Three Stooge shorts where they're playing dictators. Yeah, yeah, it's not that far off. There's just like a lot of infighting between the Plectroids. Christopher Lloyd plays uh, the character John Big Booty. Big Booty. Uh, He always insists that his name is pronounced uh, Big Booty. And uh, John Lithgow never says it correctly (laughs) throughout the entire movie. And and so they're incredibly incompetent. And the whole thing is they need the oscillation over thruster from the phasing jet car. Yes. uh, That Hakita and Buckaroo Bonsai uh, had put together because that's how they will get back into the eighth dimension with their huge giant spacecraft that has all the things that they need to plug into the oscillation over thruster. But they all they have is Lizardo's completely busted, non-functioning, incorrectly built in the first place version. So uh, as you can imagine, the black electroids are coming to Earth to stop them and enlisting the help of Buckaroo Banzai to do so. Although he's doing pretty good on his own. Buckaroo, President's on line one, calling about is everything okay with the alien space cloud from Planet 10 or should he just go ahead and destroy Russia? Buckaroo does a pretty good job about starting to thwart these uh, red electroids on his own even before he gets uh, (laughs) the knowledge beam electrocution thing. But it's also the help of his Hong Kong Cavaliers who kind of uncover the the uh, mystery behind the War of the Worlds thing. And they uh, hack into the Yo-Yo Dine computers and, you know, they, they do a lot of the grunt work there. Yeah, but still, it, you can't you can't imagine that anything 
really that terrible would have happened because when they eventually take off, they decide to use John Warfin's oscillation overthruster because they can't find the good one. And they just crash right through the side of the Yo-Yo Dine building yeah. uh, because it doesn't work. No. And then they get blown up by a ship that earlier a version of it had gotten shot down by a shotgun. And we all know how you feel about that. Oh, it pisses me off. To close the doors and prepare for a cross attack. Oh, also, you know how I'm very upset about that whole shotgun thing? Yeah, I've heard. I'm I'm even more upset now that I remember the black electroids. It was the black electroid ship that was shot down. Yeah. Uh, did I remember black electroids are completely able to control gravity to such a point that people can be walking on the floor, the wall, and the ceiling all in the same room at the same time. Did we mention that the black electroids are Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we did not. And... Yeah, and so, but even the black electroids seem to be moderately incompetent. They're the good guys. They seem to be able to control a lot of things, but they decide that if the red electroids escape, which is something they don't want to happen, they're going to destroy the world. Yeah, it, they're not really that concerned about Earth. You know, they were pretty, they're pretty lazy. Um, <laughs> they just sit around in enormously tall chairs that you couldn't possibly get onto playing yeah. chess. Yeah, and they're like, hey, whatever. <laughs> they really don't care. They're like, oh, well, they're trying to get back. Well, let's just blow up the entire planet. They won't even... <laughs> well, let's have them blow up the entire planet themselves. Declaration of war. The short form. They barely even think about helping stop them. Oh, also one thing that we haven't mentioned, every single Lectroid's first name, male, female, good, bad, black, red is John. Yeah, it's it's all John. They're all Johns. So, you know, the, the Black Electroids, their names, you know, uh, John Valak, John Emdahl, John Gant, and John Parker, eh, not that crazy. The uh, Yo-Yo Dine employees, who are also Red Electroids, you get a, you know, you're, you're John Big Booties, John Careful Walker, John Chief Crier, John Fledgling, John Fish, John Icicle Boy, John Kimchi, John Many Jars, John Mudhead, John Rajesh, John Ready to Fly, John Repeat Dance, John Take Cover, John Thorny Stick, John Two Horns, John Yaya. The list goes on. Okay, so the way you can tell, not necessarily from their color, which you can, but mostly through insane names yes except for john warfin well i mean there's like john jones okay john gomez you know there's a couple normal ones like john milton oh come on we all know it would be juan gomez you know i wish the movie had done that <laughs> so it had everyone else named john except for juan gomez that would have been that would have been great would have I already love this movie. I would have loved it just a little bit more. Are on this planet here in the New Jersey coming to destroy us. We must act. Escape or die. We must work faster to finish the great vehicle 
So the thing that really impressed me more than anything about Buckaroo Bonsai, admittedly, the guy's a neuroscientist, a rock star, a pilot, a high energy physicist. But the thing that I was most impressed by was the size of his effective social network. <laughs> yeah, move over, Mark Zuckerberg. Here comes Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, before the internet, before cell phone use was common at all, you have this guy, Buckaroo Banzai, who seems to be able to call on approximately two-thirds of the populace <laughs> at any point in time. Yeah, and it, it seems like, and this is never, never brought up in the entire movie or any other documentation. It seems like an extremely well-structured organization. We don't really know who's in charge or how certain things fit together, but it just seems like he has many layers, many different levels of support organizations below him and the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Yeah, uh, and well, and that that organization, I mean, actually, no, before we talk about his uh, outside organization, let's talk about the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. And we really should. Who are the Hong Kong Cavaliers? The Hong Kong Cavaliers are, they're Buckaroo's assistants. They're his closest confidants and his 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 pals. They're his best friends. And he's created an institute. Of course he has. It's called the Bonsai <laughs> Institute, where they all hang out. It's this big think tank. And he's got he's got five five people. Well, there's four Hong Kong Cavaliers. There's five Hong Kong Cavaliers, four of whom we meet. Uh, I'm sorry, but Pinky Carruthers is a uh, Blue Blazer regular. Uh, Pecos is in Tibet. Oh, you're right. I know you. You're Pecos. Perfect Tom. Perfect Tommy. I'm sorry. You're, you're Pecos. Uh, Pecos in Tibet. Name's Reno. Reno. It's an honor. The Hong Kong Cavaliers that we meet in the movie uh, are Rawhide, Reno, Nevada, Perfect Tommy, and New Jersey. And joining the Hong Kong Cavaliers is Pinky Carruthers, who is technically a, a Blue Blazer regular, but he yes. plays bass guitar in their band. And I believe he also drives the van or the bus. Yeah, and, and, you know, Pinky Carruthers may be the connecting link between the, the Cavaliers and the Blue Blazer regulars. Yeah. Also, Perfect Tommy is perfect. Then give you a code. Why me? Because you're perfect. You have a point there. So, and these guys are, are ridiculously talented people. They all play instruments except for New Jersey. Uh, no, New Jersey plays the piano a little bit. I think he plays the piano towards the end of the movie. Well, yeah, when they're when they're looking up the Grover's Mills red electrodes. I think uh, we should also mention that New Jersey, played by Jeff Goldblum, is the only one to actually have a real name. Yeah, <laughs> which is Doctor Sidney Zweibel. And according to Wikipedia, Perfect Tommy designed the jet car suspension system, which allowed it to hug the ground even at supersonic speeds. <laughs> Of course it did, because he's perfect. <laughs> so so this this core group of people, they're the ones that travel with Buckaroo. You know, they, they're on his uh, tour bus because they're also the members of his band, but they're also his closest confidants. He sends them off to do specific missions. They're like his, his lieutenants. Now, what's 
what's below the Hong Kong Cavaliers, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I am perfectly willing to answer. Below them are the Blue Blaze Irregulars. Now, uh, this is just a kind of a loose conglomeration of people. It doesn't really seem to matter the age at all. It doesn't really seem to matter what they do. But they're just kind of there to help out Buckaroo whenever he seems to put the call out on the wireless. So it does seem that they all have just kind of like wireless radio sets that they monitor constantly in case Buckaroo needs help. Now, wasn't one of the Blue Blazer regulars a small child? Yes, he was a small child. And him and his dad apparently ran a used car shop. And a uh-huh. buddy of theirs who just hangs around had a helicopter so they could go <laughs> save Buckaroo. Yeah, and I think and this is kind of how the organization works, depending on where events are happening, what kinds of expertise or equipment is needed in that area. There are people around to call. Yeah, and the Blue Blaze regulars, it needs to be pointed out, also include hardcore assault teams. <laughs> yeah, you've got like SWAT teams uh, that are part of part of this group. What about a Blue Blaze strike team? No, we keep it intimate. Call the Kalani brothers, call the Rough Suckers. Where are you going? Get my guns. Yeah, and so there's also other groups below the Hong Kong Cavaliers. You have the Rug Suckers. Which are a team of armed civilians who also operate a rug cleaning company. (laughs) Yes, uh, and they were called in to help out on the assault against Yo-Yo Dine while none of the Blue Blaze irregular assault teams were. And also (laughs) the Radar Rangers. Yeah, and this is a uh, group of amateur radio enthusiasts pretty much just track everything that happens. They seem to be the connecting tissue between these groups. Yeah, it's... <laughs> uh, oh, there's also the Kalotny brothers uh, <laughs> who who, do, who help who help out uh, once again uh, with the Red Electroid assault at Yo-Yo Dine. And so, yeah, it's this huge network of people. It, it The thing that reminds me, at least the Blue Blazer regulars, reminds me a lot of the global frequency uh from Warren Ellis. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up. In the uh, early two thousands, Warren Ellis wrote maybe a twelve issue comic book series called Global Frequency, wherein there was a one central person who would call, would call people with specific talents, depending on the mission or the location, and your phone would just ring and you would pick it up and you'd be part of the global frequency. You're on the global frequency. <laughs> yep. And it, it, it's eerily similar to how this organization functions. But this organization functions on a much bigger scale. Yeah, and also a lot less internet. <laughs> yeah, pretty and, much zero internet. Hello, Bokaru Banzai? You a messenger? What you got here? No, no, wait a minute. I need to see Bokaru Banzai in person. My name is John Parker. Uh, hey, hey, Sam. Yeah. Uh, did you know that all the black electroids are Jamaican? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's up with that? Hey, how great is it that all the black electroids are Jamaican? I'm going to say it's pretty great. I'm I'm actually going to completely agree with you. It's And it's insane. Like, what sort of decision was that filmmaking-wise? <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like black electroids, they're all going to be Jamaicans. Uh, red electroids are just going to be crazy people. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, no, that's very true. But it's there's uh, something about that that's not all that far off from what I might notice in other parts of the movie, uh, especially amongst say Buckaroo Banzai and the Hong Kong Cavaliers and the Blue Blazer regulars and. And even with the whole lecture thing, there's this really kind of off 1980s utopian togetherness thing going on in Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah, no, that's definitely that's definitely true. Uh, it's everyone gets along like there's like there's a there's a sad person in the middle of their rock show. And so Buckaroo Bonsai sings her a song. <laughs> yeah, he he stops. He stops the show. And sings her a song. And he, I think, doesn't he chew out someone? Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's some bad eggs out there. But in general, everything's pretty good. Yeah, everything's pretty good. And... Like, I mean, there's, I mean, this is the 80s. There's still a lot of racial tension in the 80s. I mean, there still is now, but right. there's definitely a lot left in the 80s. Not amongst the Blue Blazer regulars. No. There, there, there's none. It was just like everyone is together. And then you get the, hey, we're all from Zion Black Lectroids. I was half expecting a reggaeton air horn at some point. <laughs> oh, the the one thing about the, the whole togetherness idea that's totally violated in the uh, singing part of the rock show. Mm-hmm. As soon as a gun is fired, because she was going to kill herself, except her hand gets nudged out of the way and, and she pulls the trigger and it just goes up in the air. Every single member of the band is armed to the teeth. Yeah, to an extreme extent. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we're all about togetherness. We think that the world can all get on just perfectly fine except we're gonna pack a shitload of mac 10s yeah and it's not it's like all of these people distinguished scientists rock musicians complete badasses (laughs) every single one is just like this complete badass arm to the teeth and they're still jamaican right dan And the black electroids are all still Jamaican. Explosive? What are you saying, man? Some kind of race war in New Jersey? The best part of this entire movie is the end title sequence. Yes, of course. Oh, my God. Yes, it is the greatest thing ever. As a matter of fact, I am watching it right now. Yeah. At the end of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, you don't just have credits rolling. No, I mean, you, you fade to black, you get the watch out for the next adventure of Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League, and then... And then magic happens. The, uh, oh, it's NC- perfect, Tommy. He doesn't have a shirt on. Hey, hey, watch it. <laughs> um, yeah, the end title sequence of, of, of this movie is Buckaroo kind of appears on top of the L.A. aqueduct. <laughs> And does he shimmy down a rope, I believe? Yeah, he does. He sh- he shimmies down a rope, and he just starts, like, walking towards the camera. And as he's walking, the uh, Hong Kong Cavaliers run up and join him, and they're strutting along with him. He does a little hop skip, does a twist. They're all kind of, like, high-fiving and shaking hands as they're, like, it's almost like they have somewhere to go. 
Yeah, and and they're also in some of the best examples of 80s clothing ever. Yes, vibrant colors, sleeveless shirts. Uh, um, uh, sh- shirtless under a bright white jacket while wearing yeah. this massive neck bling that kind of looks like a scarf. Yeah, shoulder pads. <laughs> oh, lots of shoulder pads, except on the suit jackets. Like, there's no yeah. shoulder pads on the suit jackets. The suit jackets would pass today. Yep. So they're strutting along. All the the hero characters of the movie, they'll join him in this strut through the L.A. aqueducts. Then they walk past A.L. Wall that says Buckaroo Banzai. And Jeff Goldblum has the best mildly crooked, bemused smile in the history of the planet. Yeah. And I can't believe we haven't mentioned this thus far. Jeff Goldblum is dressed in full cowboy regalia throughout the entire movie. Bright red shirt and a cowboy hat. He is wearing this the entire movie. <laughs> but can- except for the very first scene when he's in an environmental hazard suit. Well, he's performing surgery. Yes. Of course, he wouldn't be wearing giant faux fur chaps. <laughs> um or is he wearing those under his environmental suit? That's true. We don't know. I think it can be agreed. Even if you watched this entire movie and you didn't like it at all, you hit this part, it's now your favorite movie. I watched this before I ever watched the movie. I watched this credit sequence and then was completely convinced I have to watch Buckaroo Banzai. I usually have to go back and watch this uh, credit sequence maybe once every couple of weeks just to keep myself regular. Mr. Hansen. Yes, Mr. Sai. Do you want me to, to make your experience of this end title sequence even better? I don't know how that's possible, but yes. So during the filming of this sequence, the music, it wasn't finished. So the composer told the crew to use the song Uptown Girl by Billy Joel as a placeholder because it has the exact same tempo as the music used in the end sequence. So my question to you now is, has anyone just taken this video that I'm watching on YouTube and replaced the background music with Uptown Girl? You've just described what I will be doing after we finish recording this. <laughs> well, um, I thank you for that. And you can see that as an original. The very first time that you will be able to see that will be on acmescience.com in the blog post about this podcast. Yeah. No, that's true. World premiere. So, yeah, they uh, they hooked a boombox to the camera truck and blared Uptown Girl while they were strutting away. <laughs> can't get any better than that i think no no you cannot that's the most perfect thing i've ever heard (laughs) and i just i don't think that we have anywhere else to go really nope okay so mr dan sai it has been an absolute pleasure talking about buckaroo bonsai with you yeah let's do this again and we would tease what we are going to do next, but we don't know what movie it is. So just keep an eye out on the feed and probably about a month from when you're listening to this, we should have another one of these out and we may have even come up with a name. That would be nice. So yeah, if you want to hear us talk more about Buckaroo Banzai, tune in next month. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not right, Dan. We're going to do a different movie. What? I, I thought you said we were just going to talk about Buckaroo Banzai every month. No, no, no. Different, different movie, Dan. 
oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to keep doing this then. Uh, well, stay tuned to see if we stay together. And that is all the time that we have for Sam and Dan and. If you want to leave us any feedback, send us an email, samanddan at acmescience.com, and head on over to acmescience.com and check out the blog post about today's episode. You can also follow Acme Science on Twitter to find out more about this podcast as well as our other offerings, combinations of permutations, and strongly connected components. Or you could spend your time on Twitter a little bit better by following at Dan Sai uh, to laugh and at Samuel underscore Hansen to feel really sad that someone uses Twitter for that. All the clips you heard were from the movie, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, and this podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License. So please feel free to take all of those weird bits of insane cackling that I did and make them into a dance mix. Just be sure to say that you got the audio from us. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope that you will stay tuned for the next episode of Sam and Dan and. <laughs>